Good morning, good morning, morning. <laughs> Glad you're all here today. What a day, huh? I love when the weather starts to change. I guess it's going to be a monsoon tomorrow, though. <laughs> so, hate when that happens. <clears throat> but man, I love when it gets cooled off and I finally stop sweating. You know what I mean? It's not comfortable to sweat when you're eating. People know me know that when the question arises in your mind, do you want to eat outside? The answer is always the same. No. Who does that even? Who eats outside in the sun? It's gross. <laughs> oh, boy. We are in the book of Exodus, chapter 10. Let's start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And we thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and your mercy towards us, Lord, and not only towards us, Lord, but all the people of this world, Lord. Your great patience, uh, Lord, and your hand of judgment has been stayed through uh, the millennia of rebellion and wickedness against you, Lord, and darkness. Um, all the hands of people, Lord, who have used their God-given gifts and talents, Lord, to blaspheme your name. Uh, people who have no regard for your word, Lord, or for the truth of it. Uh, Lord, and yet your grace and your mercy goes on, and you continue to allow your light to abide and shine in this dark world. Lord, and you call us uh, to go out amongst the people who are unsaved, Lord, just as we were once in bondage, uh, Lord, and to proclaim to them truth and freedom in Jesus. And Lord, we ask and pray for the souls um, <clears throat> of every single person, Lord God, uh, now and in the future, Lord, before, your, uh, before the return of your son, Jesus, um, who have something in them, Lord, who would cry out to you and surrender to your, to your voice. Uh, Lord, we pray for those people right now. We ask that you'd prepare them. And Lord, that you'd be leading them towards your kingdom even now, Lord, in their rebellion, just as you did with us. <clears throat> Lord, and we pray that you would prepare our feet and our hands, Lord, to do the work of ministry that is so vital. Uh, Lord, that you'd make our hearts what they need to be, Father, so that we're ready to give an answer to people at all times and all places, Lord, that rather than thinking about ourselves, Lord, we're always thinking about your kingdom. Uh, Lord, I guess in, in addition to ourselves and, and, Lord, looking for opportunities given by you, Lord, to tell people. We pray, Father, that you would give us people's souls. We pray that you would deliver them to us, Lord, and we pray that we would see an outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in this church, sure, Lord, but uh, at our workplaces, in our homes, uh, Lord, uh, in, in places we may never think, Lord, we ask for the salvation of, of our dear friends, uh, Lord, our neighbors, our family members, maybe, and uh, Lord, even those that we may not like very much, Lord, we pray for their souls as well. Uh, Lord, this is the purpose of everything. This is the purpose of the coming of Jesus the first time, Lord, to redeem men to himself. Lord, help us to be about our Father's business. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we study the word together that you would bless it to our hearts, that you would equip us, strengthen and train us, Lord, to be the soldiers we need to be for the cross and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, uh, last week we read uh, out of Romans chapter 1, and I want to just read it again, start off with that again. Um, you can just you can listen along. You, most of you know this, uh, maybe not verbatim. If you do, you're better than me. Um, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, <clears throat> we need to understand the scripture teaches us that God is angry with sin every day. 
God's not angry with people, though, right? That's us. <laughs> We're angry with people. God's angry with sin. And it's, God hates sin for the same reason that God hates divorce. Uh, and, and for years and years and years in the church, there is this wrong idea <clears throat> that people who were divorced were somehow dirtied, had been sullied, and were, 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 were less than... Uh, less than you know, what God has called us to be, and they were looked down upon. And by doing that, the church completely and entirely missed the point of what God was saying. Uh, what he says is God hates divorce because it covers a man's garments in violence. God hates divorce because of what he, it does to his kids. That's why God hates divorce. God doesn't hate divorce in the sense that he's, he's so angry with you in your divorce. That is a complete misunderstanding of God's word. God hates divorce because it tears, right? God hates it. Anyone who's been involved in divorce here, you know, it tears, man. It rips a piece of your heart off. It, it divides a family. You understand that breaks God's heart because he's the one that invented marriage. He's the one that invented families for the purpose of being blessed on this earth and for serving God together as a unit. And so when that gets torn asunder, it breaks God's heart. That's why he hates divorce. You get it? The same reason God hates sin. He hates sin, and he's angry with sin every day. He's never angry with sinners. And if we have an attitude in our hearts where we're angry with sinners, where we're mad at people for being evil, we are not exhibiting and we are not exuding the heart of Jesus Christ. That is never his heart. Jesus Christ got mad at people. He sure did. Remember which ones? The religious hypocrites, those who sought to keep people from coming to God, that put obstacles in the way of people freely coming to God. And remember, one of Jesus' most famous parables is the two men who were in the temple. And the one, the Pharisee, stood there and said, God, I thank you. I thank you that you've made me so wonderful. Oh, Lord, I do all the right things. I, I'm just so great. And I thank you that I'm not a Gentile you know, or a tax collector or even this, this dirty guy here. Thank, thank you that I'm not like him. But the sinner who was by his side beat his chest and he wouldn't even look up to the heavens. But he said, forgive me, God, a sinner. And Jesus told his disciples one of the most important things he ever taught him, I tell you the truth. That's the man that left church justified that day. God has no time for hypocrisy. No time for it whatsoever. I would rather have someone come up to me and use colorful language and telling me how their week was if that's what's in their heart. You know what I mean? Not that I'm encouraging cussing. You know, let's not make that a Berean thing. Well, that's a church where you can throw down the F-bomb. They love it there, you know. We're not looking for that, okay? Uh, and always when we talk about being disciples of Jesus Christ, we're seeking to press into him. We're seeking to press into him. And, and his presence is wanting to abide with us at all times. So everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we watch, we ought to really have that idea in our hearts. If Jesus was sitting here, will we be watching this show? Right? If Jesus was sitting right here, would I tell that joke? If Jesus was sitting right here, would we have this conversation about that person? And, and you realize through that process of comparing yourself to Jesus Christ, you're undone. You're no less undone now than you were the day that you got saved. A miss is as good as a mile, ain't it? A miss is as good as a mile. 
and you can work and you can work and you could build a tower. You could build the greatest tower, the greatest building, the greatest structure the world has ever known. And when you compare that to the distance that the person on the ground floor is from the moon and yourself, what's the point? And that's how far we still fall short of the glory of God. And that's the, that's the definition of sin. Falling short of the glory of God, and you find out, and you look at yourself in the mirror, I'm undone. You know, as the prophet said, woe is me. You know, when he's confronted with the presence of God Almighty, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Every Sunday when I, when I am preparing to, to, to preach, as I'm praying that prayer. Lord, touch my unclean lips with the burning coal of your Holy Spirit. And make a man who is unclean in his thoughts and in his heart, make him clean by your power and by your glory and by your holiness and by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that thereby I can be fit to bring the word of God to your people. Because if just Frank Jr. stands up here to teach you something, what a joke. Right? I mean, really, what a joke. I can make you laugh, you know, and we can do some stuff like that. But it is only the Holy Spirit. It is only by the Holy Spirit. That's how we're saved. That's how we're kept on the path. That's how we're drawn close to God. Um, but God is, is, uh, God, God is angry with sin every single day, okay? So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And, and understand the context of what Paul is writing here to the Romans is that this is not just people who don't know God. This is not just people who don't believe or people who are in sin. This is people who have an understanding that they're peddling lies and they purposefully are trying to keep themselves and other people from God. God is not a fan of that at all, whether you're a sinner, whether you're a Christian, or whether you're not a Christian. People who suppress the truth and unrighteousness and certainly people who, who, who seek to subvert the faith of little kids... I don't want to stand beside him on that day. I don't want to stand beside him. God is not happy with that. Now, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And, and, and that's it right there. Men are without excuse. You know, you know, people may lie, and, and if you ever deal with the cops, I've had a couple of two, three run-ins with the police. Don't lie to them. My advice to you, don't lie to them. I get out of tickets all the time. I'm not even a hot chick. You know what I mean? Close. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I'm not a hot chick, and I don't cry. You know what I mean? But I'm honest with them. When I'm honest with them, it's a dark out, I turn the lights on, I put my hand on the steering wheel, and they come up and they go, what are you doing? I have friends that are police officers, I understand this is the most nerve-wracking part of your job. Walking up to a vehicle, I want to make your job easy for you, sir. You know. <laughs> Do you know why I pulled you over? I'm an idiot, because I'm a moron. <laughs> I just blew that stop sign. Duh, you know. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 and they're looking at me. Because you know what they're used to? You know, lies. They used to lies. Oh, I didn't see it. I didn't realize, you know. All the people that don't realize or don't know or didn't know or didn't do. And they know it's, it's, bull. it's bull. People know. 
There are none so deceived as those who are self-deceived. And man, we can deceive ourselves. That's why in scriptures it says, do not be deceived. By who? Me. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Right? Don't be a liar, especially to yourself. Men know. They know. Okay? Lance and Barb and, and, and Michelle, when they're on the street corner preaching the gospel, uh, there's always hecklers. And there's always people who are upset by what they're doing. Why? Who cares? Oh, look, those weirdos are back. They're not throwing things at people. They're not hurting people. They're not stopping people from going into the bars. They're just standing there shining a light, a little light bulb. And darkness hates the light. And people are offended by it. And they're angered by it because they know. I am convinced that that's exactly what this means. They know. And they have a choice to make. Everyone's going to stand before the judgment seat. And I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. There's no one that's going to be able to stand before Almighty God and say, I just didn't know. Well, what about the native in Papua New Guinea who lives in the trees? Right? He lives in the trees with the flying squirrels. And no one's ever told him, what about you? That's the, that's the, that's the answer to that question. When they're, what about the native in Papua New Guinea who lives in the trees with flying squirrels? What about you? Because you don't live in Papua New Guinea in a tree with flying squirrels. And you're standing before me right now, presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about you? Let God worry about the native in the trees in Papua New Guinea with the flying squirrels. Because guess what? He can reach them. That's the God I serve. There's a suppression of truth and unrighteousness. His eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. Because although they knew God, they know. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. What does the Bible say? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And also the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. The, the, the wisdom of God, God's heart, God's thoughts are, are completely contrary to the thoughts of the flesh. Completely. And people who are in sin, they, they can no, understand, no more understand the things of God than you could teach algebra to a, to a guppy. Really. That's not to put them down. It's not to say they're morons. The Bible says it's spiritually discerned. They don't know. Yesterday, the girls are watching Mike and Celine Baird's dogs. They're in, in Disney with their, with their kids. And they're watching the dogs. And we stopped over and we had Netflix on and we're watching The Blue Planet. Have you seen this show? The Blue Planet? It is like you're just going, you know, you're, it's just, you know, we've explored more of space than we have the ocean as far as our solar system is concerned. And they're, 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 they're discovering new species like every year. There's like little weird jellyfish deep down. They're lit up like a UFO, man. You watch that. And then they go through the ecosystem and how every single living thing in the ocean and the job that they have, the thing that it is that they do, and they don't realize it. The dolphins aren't going like, hey, let's go to that school of fish because without us, them birds ain't going to be able to eat. Okay, let's go, flipper. They're not thinking that. That's all. That's it. They don't know. They're just hungry. Got a fish. Fish. But God designed everything perfectly. And it goes through and we're watching. There's like 10 different species of beast that they wouldn't be able to eat without the other. 
doing what they're doing. And this massive school, you know, those columns of fit, it's unbelievable. And you watch that as a believer and you're just going, a bomb went off? There's an explosion, there's nothing, then it exploded. And this, this, the absolute, mind-boggling, breathtaking perfection of nature, it's an accident. Random chance. Oh, You've got to be smoking corn stalks or something, right? Like that's what you're thinking to yourself. But you understand, friends, they don't see that. They really, really don't see that because they're caught up in the lie. They're caught up in the lie. Uh, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. That's how you believed the bomb went off and these things came to be. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Used to be idols. The Egyptians worshipped all these crazy idols. Now we worship nature in the form of evolution. It's, it's the exact same thing. It's no less primitive. It's, it's prideful man standing, standing at the top floor of that tower. Look how far we've come. The moon's still way, way up there. And they're no different than the people who are with golden idols. It's the same exact thing. But people have deceived themselves. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now here's the result. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the, their error, which was due. Uh, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind and to do those things which are not fitting. Okay? And, 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 and this is, you know, you, you go out and say this in public, you're going to get in big trouble. Okay? That when you see rampant homosexuality, it is, an, it, is a, it is directly a result of unchecked godlessness. That, that's it. Okay? I know you're not supposed to say that, but that's what God's Word says. And that's the truth. And this goes back to the very beginning. Anytime there's unchecked lawlessness unchecked godlessness, and it runs rampant, perversion arises out of that. Perversion. And that's exactly what it is. Again, does God hate homosexuals? Is God mad at gay people? You ever met a gay person? I've never met one I didn't like. Every time God's put me in front of a homosexual, the poor people, right? I love them. You know what I mean? And, I, and, I, and I, I, I went out to dinner one night with a, with a, 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 a couple of girls that were married, and then a, another couple who was dating, a couple of girls, and me, <laughs> at one of my jobs. And, we, and I, we went out to dinner, I went out to dinner with them, and, and just talking with them. And they were asking me questions about the Lord and about Christianity and stuff like that. And I was trying to be like, you know, because guess what their experience with Christians was? People are mean to them. People are angry with them and mean to them. I said, well, the Bible doesn't know anything about that. God is the judge, and God's word is true, and God's word says what it says, and there's nothing you can do to get away from that. 
But that is separated. What God seeks to do is to separate us from our sin. And that's where Jesus comes into play. You don't need to worry about your sin or what's sin and what's not sin. You just need to come to the cross. And you need to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior and accept him into your heart. And you let him worry about what you need to do and not do. And he'll take care of it. I promise you that. I believe in God. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and of his holy word. Someone comes to Jesus Christ, let him come. Well, you've got to clean up first. Who are we talking to? Let him come. But man, the thing that, that really always impresses me uh, about when I'm, when, I, when I'm hanging around homosexuals is there's a nervousness, there's a, there's a, there's a discomfort that's there. You know, going back to what we were saying here at the beginning of Romans, people know. You understand? That's why they fight so hard. That's why they fight so hard. That's why they're trying to make it a hate crime, to say it's sin. That's why. Because they know. They know. And there's an uncomfort. There's a discomfort there. And, and there's, a, there's, there's an awkwardness that's there. And they huddle close together. And that's why they do gay things and go to gay things and go to this gay thing and that gay thing. Because there's safety in numbers. And who are they hiding from? It's not Christians with torches and stones anymore. Give me a break. But people know. They know. And that's a result, a direct result of unchecked godlessness. Don't you let this world lie to you and convince you that that's okay now. Because that's not what the Word of God teaches. And you and I do not have the right to deviate from the Word of God. In fact, in the book of Revelation, God says, anyone who takes away from these words, the words of this prophecy, I'm going to take away from them the kingdom of heaven. Take their, their name out of the, the, the book. And anyone who adds to this book, I'm going to add to them the plagues that are listed in this book. God is very serious about His Word. He says that He honors it above His name. And we have no right to deviate from it or to change it. Hey, there's parts of it I don't like. Honestly, I don't like, do you like the thought of a good person going to hell? That's a terrible thought. There's people that I love and I respect and I admire that are going to be separated from God for eternity because they don't have Jesus Christ in their hearts. But I don't have the right and I'm not doing them any favors to try to sugarcoat it or remove that truth from their life. They need to know. I understand that you don't feel that you need God because you have such a great life and you're such a great person. But this whole thing and everything we're talking about is not about this life. It's about the next life. It's about eternity. Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know? And I want to know how you know. That's what it all comes down to. So God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. You've been on Facebook lately? You've been on Twitter lately? Man, the lack of understanding. 
the lack of, uh, you know, the, the one that Doug Fuller and I spent a lot of time talking about is, is you know, you have a person who uh, is driving under the influence of alcohol and they, and they end up, you know, getting in an accident and somebody gets hurt. And the judges come out of the woodwork. Hey, you ought to kill him. You'd put him to death. Blah, 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 blah. And 99% of those same exact people that are running their mouth were out at the bar or out at the restaurant at least last night having a couple with their meal. Right? And yet they want to turn in judgment on this person. This is a spirit that's in this world today. And make no mistake about it, Christian, Satan wants us to get caught up in that spirit. He wants us to sing in that choir of pointing our fingers at people and judging people and having animosity in our hearts towards people. That's never the heart of Christ. Uh, knowing the righteous judgment of God, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So what does this have to do with, with Exodus uh, chapter 10? Because it, it's the same exact thing. Because it's the same exact thing. Pharaoh has been given the word of God. He has been given the word of God. God told Moses, and people say, well, I can't believe it. It's amazing Pharaoh hasn't killed Moses by this point. Well, if you go all the way back to when God first told Moses to go in front of Pharaoh, he says, see, I've made you as a God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had a holy reverence that was given to him by God towards Moses and Aaron. And God did not allow him thereby to hurt either of them, even though he wanted to even though he was angry at the things that they were saying. And God gives Pharaoh this choice. God gives Pharaoh this decision. Let my people go. Let my people go. You're going to be a part of this story, Pharaoh. Which side of it do you want to be on? Which side of it do you want your own people to be on? And we see Pharaoh go through, this, go through the motions, don't we? We see Pharaoh go through this process. His heart is convicted. You can tell it. That his heart is pricked with conviction and he sees the power of God and he sees that what Moses and Aaron are saying are true and he sees that there's nothing that he can do to stop it or prevent it, that he lies powerless before this God and so he's given that choice that everyone is given. Surrender to Almighty God. Surrender to Almighty God so that he can bless you. So that he can bless you. And Pharaoh, like so many people, hardens his heart. Hardens his heart hardens his heart. He has moments. He has moments. Forgive me. Forgive me. I mean, gosh, if I could show you videotape of when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, every Sunday I was at the altar. Every Sunday I was at the altar. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And like I talked about last week, that'll pass. You get up, you go out of the church. I would go out of the church and I'm really going to change some things. And then two hours later, Double T, that was my name, nickname. Double T. The boys are getting together, you know. Where? <laughs> right to it. Like a pig to the slop. Like a dog to the vomit. Every single time. I'd harden my heart. I would harden my heart. I would harden my heart. Then one day, at the age of 22, finally my heart was broken. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't remember that day where I cried out to God and I said, I can't do it anymore. Save me. Wretched man that I am. Save me. And he came right alongside me. He never once said, how many times have you said that to me? Here we go again. Double T, you know. He simply forgave me. 
He simply took my life and set me up like the psalmist talks about, like, uh, like with hinds feet on high places. And, and, and just immediately delivered me and cleaned me and, and started to bless my life because he's that good and he's that merciful. And I wonder how many more times might I have hardened my heart before it was the last time. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to a lot of stuff when it comes to God's sovereignty and free will versus predestination. We know what the Word says, and we can have sort of an idea about stuff, but I think it's insulting to God, and we're kidding ourselves when we say, we under, I really understand these doctrines. I understand what the book says, and I need to go by that, whatever the book says, and not try to think I have to explain everything away or understand everything, please. Can you imagine? I'm going to have a conversation with God and really understand everything he's saying and his thoughts, right? I don't know how a lot of that works. All I know is four years old, I asked Jesus into my heart. He never let me go. He never let me go. And then I've met plenty of people, and there is just a hardness. And, 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 and you try not to judge, but you have that feeling inside that they're, they're just never, ever, ever going to surrender to God. They're just never, ever going to give in. And that's where Pharaoh was at. And so now God says, I'm going to continue to do my will in spite of you. And you're still going to be a pawn in this game. But it's going to be in spite of you. And it's going to be on top of you. Okay? So, uh, chapter 10, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. See what he says? For I have hardened his heart. See, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things that I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know, here it is again, that I am the Lord. You know, God is so merciful, and God is so, so kind, and he's so long-suffering, and he's so patient, but he ain't asking. He, he's not asking. He's not this beggarly God. Please, please, I set before you this day life and death. Now, choose life. That's God. That's God's voice. And now he tells Moses, I'm going to now use Pharaoh. I've set before him life and death. He has chosen death. And through his choice of death, I'm going to use him and I'm going to use Egypt as an object lesson, as a story that I want you to pass down to your son and your son's son for generation to come that every single one of them may look back at these days and know that I am the Lord. And that includes up to us. That includes up to us that when we read this, we're not reading this as some abstract fairy tale that's been passed down like Aesop's fables that we enjoy and learn good lessons from. This is a history book. And we read these words that we may know that he is the Lord. And that when a Pharaoh arises in our lives or in our own hearts and we're confronted with difficult times or difficult decisions and things may not seem to make any sense or we're hurting or we're dying even, that we may know that he is the Lord. And that it is his right hand, his own mighty hand that will lead us and that will guide us. And that will put us exactly where he wants us to be. We have but to trust in him. 
And so God says to Moses, you're going to teach your kids. This is now going to be a lesson that you're going to pass down to the generations to come. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Now it's interesting that God has Moses ask this question. He's already hardened Pharaoh's heart. He already knows Pharaoh's going to refuse. He already knows what Pharaoh's going to do. And yet he has Moses ask the question, how long, how long? Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth and they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail and they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve their, the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Pharaoh, do you not yet know? Gosh, we could, you know, if I could walk into this Congress tomorrow, if I could walk into the Senate, if I could just walk in and be put in front of all of these politicians, I don't give a, <laughs> I don't give a, a hoot about the politics of it all. That's for outside of these walls. That's for outside of my duty as a Christian to think about stuff and vote and all that nonsense and have my political opinions. If I could stand up at that, at that, at that desk that they all sit at you know, and, and stand at that podium and say anything I'd want, do you not yet know that this world of yours, that this idea of yours is destroyed? It's over. Look, is what, let it, look at what has become of us because of our rebellion against God. How long? How long, Pharaoh? So, Pharaoh's servants, how long? Do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? So, Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. What? Change of heart here? <clears throat> Who are the ones that are going? <laughs> Excuse me. And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. <clears throat> Pharaoh's asking him a question. And Pharaoh's asking it in such a way that he's giving Moses the ability here to make a compromise. Moses, who will go with you, Moses? I'll tell you what, Pharaoh, just, just, let, just let me and the guys, you know, just show something. That's not what Moses says, because that's not what God said. All of us, every single one of us, our men and our women and our men servants and our maid servants and our cattle and our animals, our livestock and everything that we are, that's who will go out and serve the Lord. Then he said to them, huh, this is interesting. In verse 10, Pharaoh said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. 
Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. No, it isn't. And that's not what they said. And that's what God, not what God had told them to say. He's revising history here. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Interesting. He wants, Pharaoh, he wants Moses to make a compromise. Moses, if you're going to believe that way, if you need to go do, then go do this. But your kids and your wife and, your, and your, everything that you have, everything has to be used to serve you. Give me a break. Give me a break. Take the men and go do what you're going to do. Leave the kids and the women out of it. Can't you see, Moses? Can't you see you're going to lead them down a path of destruction? Can't you see how hard their lives are going to be? Can't you see what they're going to miss out on? You and the men go do what you're going to do. Leave them out of it, Moses. And he drove them from their presence. <clears throat> well, then that's what dad picks up in verse 12. That's it. Let's just keep going. No. <laughs> Listen, God is so merciful. God is so gracious. And it's interesting when you look at some of these plagues, and then you read through the book of Revelation, right? There's going to be hail during the time of the tribulation. 100-pound hailstones and fire that's going to fall on planet Earth. It's going to destroy the kingdom of Antichrist. There's going to be locusts, but they're not going to be regular locusts. There's going to be some sort of demonic entity that is going to physically materialize and go after people. Absolutely horrifying. And if I could just read one more verse to you guys. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. This is after the locusts. This is after the hail. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. The man of heart never changes. The man of heart. The heart of man never changes. Right? It never changes. After Jesus Christ returns and he takes us to heaven and the seven-year tribulation takes place, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ comes back with us. He destroys the Antichrist and the false prophet. He throws him in the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years and fired into the Abuso. Jesus Christ walks in through the eastern gate. He touches down on the Mount of Olives. It splits wide open. He walks through the valley, through the original eastern gate, into Jerusalem, and he sits down at the throne of David, and he rules the entire world world for a thousand years. It's transformed this world back into a paradise. It's the Garden of Eden again. It is the Garden of Eden. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no pain. It is a perfect paradise for a thousand years. And Satan is chained up so that he cannot deceive people. And then at the end of that thousand years, in God's final judgment on the heart of sinful man, Satan is released for just a short time to go out and deceive the nations. And he gathers an army that the Bible says is like the sand of the seashore to come and fight against the Lamb and His throne in Jerusalem. After a thousand years of Eden, mankind is given the opportunity to choose 
and they immediately rebel against God. That's the heart of man. That's our own hearts. God help us, right? Thanks be to God. Wretched man that I am, Paul says. Who will deliver me? This is Paul. This is Paul. This is not like George, right? This is Paul crying out, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. All of that darkness, all of that sin, all of that condemnation that rests on sinful man in a sinful world, for you, it doesn't exist. And it cannot touch you. It cannot touch you in God's economy. It can still touch you on planet Earth. It can still touch you on planet Earth. It can still touch you in the flesh. You still reap what you sow. But in God's economy, in the economy that counts... In the heavenly economy, it cannot touch you. You are clean. You are clean because of what Jesus did. Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your salvation. Lord, and we thank you for uh, softening our hearts, Lord, and making them pliable enough to receive Jesus Christ and to believe all the things that you've taught us and shown us in your word, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith, that you would increase our knowledge of you, Lord, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, Lord, you would be drawing us closer to yourself and by your Holy Spirit be conforming us closer and closer to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. That you'd give us hearts, massive hearts, Lord, of love and servitude towards you first and then towards people. That we would not have judgment in our hearts, Lord, and we would not have malice in our hearts or covetousness, but we would have hearts to serve the people that you've put in our lives and hearts to see them saved. Lord, and we pray that you'd give us opportunity, Lord, as you draw us and you use us, we pray that you'd give us opportunity to tell people the truth. And we pray that we would see people saved and we would see people brought into the kingdom, Father. We pray, Lord God, before the end, that there would be a, another outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord, maybe the likes of which none of us have ever seen in our lifetime. Lord, we pray for that. We pray for a revival. Lord, we pray for a revival in this great land of ours, Lord. We're so thankful for the land that we live in, and yet, Lord, we can look out with your eyes and we can see the darkness and the wickedness that's still there, Lord, that's present as men reject you every single day, reject you in their hearts. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray, Father, that you would help us to rise above all of that, Lord, to not be dismayed by it or swayed by it, Lord, uh, Lord, but to be set above it, to be used by you to minister to the people who are entrapped therein, Lord and in slavery and bondage. Uh, Lord, make us the people you need us to be and glorify your own name, Father, and your kingdom through what you do in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks.